Hello everyone and welcome back to the Computer Vision in Production podcast show. The podcast show where we talk all about everything computer vision. From the individual components of the technology including vision, cameras and deep learning. Right through to hearing about some of the most interesting applications that companies are using at the moment. Hello everyone and welcome to the Computer Vision in Production podcast. I'm your host Anthony Kelly. Today's guest is Daniel Arias Medina, who is a research and development engineer at the German Aerospace Center. Today, we're going to take a little bit of a turn from our traditional computer vision topics. and We're going to speak with Daniel as he's working very closely with uh, radar, with GPS, in the sense where he's even actually pursuing, actually, just so I know on that, did you finish your PhD? Um, It will be at the end of the year, so it's the last step. So we'll just say, will we say it's finished? Cost. Yeah, well, you can say that. Yeah. <laughs> and then also, just go from here, Lucy. And then Daniel is actually also finishing up his PhD on central fusion for robust navigation under GNSS challenging conditions, which will have a big impact into, I suppose, not, not necessarily the computer vision technology itself, but more so the surrounding applications that go with it. Uh, so Daniel, look, welcome to the show. It's it's great to have you. Hi, Anthony. How are you doing? I'm really good, really good. Uh, as I was just saying, pretty pretty quiet now in in Dublin with the with the re lockdown lockdown 2.0. And now I've seen in the I've seen in the newspaper they're already preparing us for a third one after Christmas because they said there's going to be a, a third wave now from experts. So. But look, that's that's a side's the point. That's um, <laughs> how the new reality it's going to be like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder if we'll just act like Florida and just open up the, the country again. <laughs> it could be the best way. Well, look, Daniel, why don't you give us a little bit of a, an overview of yourself, your background, and what kind of got you into joining German, the German Aerospace Center? Yeah, so it's... It's an interesting story, actually. So uh, I'm from originally from Spain, from the south of Spain, and I studied electrical engineering. And for whatever reason, I ended up initially in Germany just to perform my bachelor thesis. And I guess I liked German from electrical engineering. I went to computer science, and then again, I I was I received a call to make my master thesis originally here. At, at the German Aerospace Center. It's uh, also received the name of DLR because of the German acronym. And f- that happened five years ago. And then I completely changed my, let's say, my fields from the computer science or the electrical engineering into something much more aerospace related or telecommunication, if you please. So it was kind of a casualty, but it's definitely the. Uh, it's been a great journey and working at the German Aerospace Center, it's every day a new adventure. And I guess we can really discuss what, um, what we're doing and probably how this is related to computer vision or to some, some of the automated driving applications or you name it. Oh, yeah. So look, I suppose without, without further ado, what's... What's your role? What does an R&D engineer do at the German Aerospace Center? So in my case, that's closely related to performing investigation on 
let's say, so you mentioned GPS. Uh, GPS is it's the American system. So it's a set of satellites that are used to locate ourselves. And GNSS, it's more of a generic term to name not only the American system, but uh, in Europe, we have our own system, which is the Galileo. And then the Russians, they also have GLONASS. And what I personally do is to fuse all of these different satellite technologies to provide kind of centimeter level, so extreme, extremely high accuracy for localization and timing purposes. Okay. And so like at the moment, there's, there's one particular project that you're working on for the Institute of Communications and Navigation. And it's using GNSS fault detection and mitigation for maritime applications. Uh, do you want to tell us about that and how, I suppose, you're using the, the satellites on and around vehicles to assist with autonomous driving? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, for sure, every vehicle which intends to be autonomous or also not autonomous, but we all use um, a TomTom or whatever kind of navigation device to know where we are. And obviously, for whenever there's a person driving the car, it's uh, quite easy because in case that you don't have your, you don't have your TomTom, you still can navigate. But if we think about having a car which drives itself, you really need to know where you are and not only where you are, but you need to know, for instance, in which lane of, of um, a road you are and what's distance to, let's say, um, the walk, so to the walk side. When this term of detection and mitigation, it's because of the Genesis signals, they travel, I mean, the Genesis satellites are like 20,000 kilometers away from the Earth. So from the moment that these signals arrive to the Earth, they are very weak. And all of this reflection to the, to the buildings or any metallic structures, this can completely corrupt or disrupt the system. Say the topic of detection and mitigation is to being able to, to use the system for knowing where a vehicle is, not only for maritime purposes, but it could be aviation, but it could be also automotive. We basically, uh, it could be also for drones. Um, it's not the same delivering your package to your packages delivered to your home or to, you, to your neighbors or to someone else. So yeah, basically uh, I handle the topic of not being affected by this kind of faults. Reflections. I think one thing as well that was pretty cool. Um, you mentioned that you, you hold as a world Guinness record for communication of data. Yeah, that's. I mean, the, the Journal of Space Center is obviously, obviously a very large institution, but this particularly uh, this particular topic it's it's an honor because it coming from our Institute of Communications and Navigation, and that was at I think it was last year we established this kind of world Guinness record on fastest communication. And it was something like 13 terabytes per second, just laser technology. And you can picture 13 terabytes per second. It's, it's a very high bandwidth. <laughs> I don't know how is it done, but it's definitely not the usual thing that one can aim for. Yeah, I don't even know if we have a space center. I'm pretty sure we don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think the UK does have one. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm in Dublin. I'm, I, I only recently found out that we're not even in NATO because we don't have an active military. Uh, <laughs> it's, 
it's things you think you know about your own country that that you really just just surprise you. So when did you when did you run the experiment of of growing tomatoes in space? <laughs> uh, that no one, I would say it's diagnostical, but definitely not. That was another very interesting project. The idea is that in the future we want to be able to make fresh food and vegetables to let's say a crew which is in space or picture a colony in the moon or or in Mars. And you cannot just be eating all day this kind of tube-based, let's say, food. So the idea behind this kind of growing or having a greenhouse in the space was somehow born in the, in the DLR. So we have these small satellites with some kind of liquid nutrients inside. And the idea is that it needs to be autonomously enough to survive in basically the emptiness of the space inside these satellites. Uh, receiving only some lights that you can collect using some sonar panels and not more water than you had initially. Yeah, it's it's definitely a very interesting project. It's, it was launched, I think, in 2018. So from 2018, the satellite is on the space, it's tomatoes, and growing perfect spherical tomatoes because uh, in case you don't, you don't know, but when there's no gravity, Whatever thing that you grow, it will grow perfectly in all directions. So if you were to grow, grow um, let's say, a banana, it could most likely also be spherical. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird thing, but yeah. <laughs> have, you, have you ever got the, the opportunity to try one of these tomatoes from space? Uh, unfortunately, no, but uh, that would be uh, that would be nice. I mean, it would be <laughs> incredible to try it in space. You could open up your own burger place and call it Zero Gravity Burgers, but have yeah. Zero Gravity <laughs> Tomatoes on it. <laughs> yeah, that would be really cool. Like, so let's let's get to what we really wanted to to talk about here. You know, geolocation and geospatial technologies. Mm-hmm. As as you said, look not directly related to computer vision in terms of vision technologies. But, you know, there's a lot of companies out there who are in autonomous driving, which are using GIS, or even companies that are out there using drone technologies, they're mapping out locations. I suppose they're doing even so much more with, with, with GPS and GIS. But I suppose, look, in, in your sense, what's, what's the correlation and what's the relation between like GIS technologies and computer vision? And, and where does the biggest you know, collaborating factors come in? I mean, definitely, I mean, the world of GIS is only possible because of the computer computer vision techniques. I mean, the NGIS technologies, they require a really large investment. So in order to be able to place satellites, which are taking different images or maybe using some kind of this synthetic aperture radar images of the Earth, this is say, uh, from an investment point of view, a very expensive thing to do. And then the only way to work with these images is to somehow recycle all of this knowledge we have for computer vision in many other topics. So, yeah, obviously there is this very strong correlation. And also in relation to GPS, and when using drones, for example, if you have this kind of photometry application. So you have a drone that is, for instance, uh, registering images of a building to find like some damages in the structure. Or if you have a drone just 
for measuring two different distances for abstraction side, uh, it's also really relevant to know precisely where this wrong is, because uh, a small deviation of two centimeters to not building the, the building in a proper place, <laughs> in the proper manner. So uh, in the more traditional computer vision sense, you know, cars are using, or companies are using radars and lidars, you know, to, to detect vehicles on the streets. But also each car is fitted with GPS sensors. You know, what's, what's the combination and how these are working? And I suppose what's the stop us from, you know, using GPS and cameras as opposed to using radar, lidar and cameras? I mean, I think they're both very complementary technologies. So radar and LIDARs at the end are systems for knowing what is around you, while GPS is really helping only to know where you are. But it's only the combination of both that makes the whole system running, right? And I think, yeah, so obviously there is something that um, it's been discussed for, for now several years, but it's still an actual challenge which is how to um, have this kind of B2X, so vehicle to everyone uh, communication. And for example, you can, using radar and LIDAR images, you could potentially exchange the information on where you think the others are with respect to you, but to say that information, you also need to know where you are. That's also where GPS comes into play. Yeah, so definitely this... Two technologies on the one side, radar and lidar, and on the other side, GPS. They they need each other completely, and uh, only when both of them are functional that we can even think about possibilities of having this kind of different levels of autonomy in vehicles. Yeah. Now, in terms of it, you wouldn't be talking commercial vehicles that me and you would drive. Who would who would have like a GPS combination? because of, I suppose, the accuracy that you're getting from the GPS? Or do you think that maybe the GPS can also be improved? Or do you feel it will probably be more so maybe uh, if there's drones out there mapping lands, taking aerial images? Or what? Where, do, where can GPS be used when using autonomous vehicles? Well, I mean, there is a general thing that it's very, very important is that I mean, of course, GPS, the, the most important use it has is to know where you are. Uh, but the second most common, but not so much well-known thing that you would use GPS for is for timing. So everything is synchronized time-wise using GPS. For instance, not uh, yeah, besides uh, the localization part, but if GPS were not to be functional, the first thing you would notice is not that your autonomous car is not driving, that when you're going to withdraw money, the bank wouldn't give you any money because everything, the whole worldwide time standard is based on GPS. Um, so obviously, I mean, GPS on the one hand is limited in accuracy. So you have, let's say, in indoor or in outdoor environments with buildings uh, like urban scenarios, a limited accuracy of, let's say, one to 10 meters. Um, and on the other hand, radars, lidars are very precise, especially lidars. So if you can, for instance, use a third technology, which could be like 5G to exchange data within each car in which you say, okay, I believe with an accuracy of 10 meters and I'm here. 
but I know for certain that you are 30 centimeters away from me and you share this information with another car, then all of a sudden you have this kind of collaborative, collaborative uh, localization network, which is not only much more reliable and precise, but it's somehow like the fusion of everything that it's come. Yeah, I, I cannot imagine a world where an autonomous vehicle is not communicating to any other vehicle. So that's why this kind of GPS, LiDAR, and 5G, potential future 5G will be where we really advance forward. Yeah, no, I, I think one of the most exciting things about 5G is, is it, can, it can, like if you have s- smart traffic lights, you can connect the vehicle to tell you where the traffic lights are or a tram or yeah. even somebody's yeah. even somebody's mobile phone you know it can tell you where everything is yeah so it not only has eyes it now has this incredible sense of what's around there and not only that if it's got if it's using cameras it's got eyes that are better than yours and mine processing more images and labeling and you know taking in what's actually in them to like an extent that we probably couldn't even comprehend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I suppose one thing as well with, with GPS, you know, it's a great technology, it's a great tool, but it does come with some security risks. You know, what what are the security risks that you can be facing and how do you, how do you keep it safe? Um, or how do you keep us safe from these risks? That's, that's a really good question. We could think of two different threats, uh, or radio threats. On the one hand, there are some issues that are like natural reflection. So, I mean, it's no one's fault that the satellite the signals are reflecting on the, on the buildings. But these are not the kind of problems that are very concerning, but there are two other ones. The first one is jamming. It's when you want to neglect an area of users from actually using their GPS signals. So you basically send on the very same frequency band a lot of noise, which very strong, let's say, power, and you're not able to see the satellite signals. That's a very big problem, for instance, in, let's say, military applications where you don't want to, I don't know, another country to the eyes on what you're doing, or if you want to make sure that they are, for example, sending a missile, which is like with some teleobjective, this teleobjective requires some GPS. You ne- neglect the use of GPS. Well, this missile kind of function. It's, uh, obviously, it's, it's a very complex or military-related scenario, but everything needs to be taken into account. But this, this also leads to another point, which is if everything is connected via, via GPS for the time purposes, and this is a very crazy idea, but if you were to go near, near to a central bank, and completely deny the service of UPS, then one could potentially face the risk of not using timing synchronization. And without timing synchronization, potentially the stock market could be stopped for certain seconds. When it comes to stock market, can be a huge issue. Um, and when you make these seconds minutes, this is like a national or international risk, uh, let's say risk or threat. And the other second very concerning, say, radio threat relates to spoofing. Spoofing, it's when you make believe, say, a vehicle that you are sending some fake 
GPS signals. Uh, let me explain myself. Make sure that by default, your GPS receiver is getting some signals from the satellites. And what you can do is to send the very same signal of the satellites, but to make believe the user that it's not in one place, but in a different place. If your autonomous car relies on GPS, for example, and you make it believe that it's in a different place, you could potentially um, drive an autonomous car to heat taken something or some other very, very dangerous applications. So obviously we need GPS, but there are some security risks which are very, very important. Yeah, I, I think there was one that got quite popular. I think it was, was it not like a, a young kid feel like a, a little toy trailer or a wheelbarrow with like 200 or 300 smartphones? Yeah, that actually happened in, in Berlin. That was, uh, I think they, they did it for an art purpose. I think the, the person who did it was saying, and basically they just put like 150 smartphones and walk around. And obviously like Google Maps thought that there was a huge like accident or something in that area because there were too many users. So it must be like there was a very intense traffic jam. <laughs> so the, the using Google Maps or the regular user was somehow also affected. Great, nice. And then, you know, there's another aspect of it that comes in from, you know, geospatial and geolocation. And it's been quite changed with computer vision and it's, it's remote sensing. Mm-hmm. So it, it, everything was previously just GPS and remote sensing. And now it's got the addition of vision. Just to give us a bit of an idea, what did it look like? And what does it look like now? Do you mean with respect to computer vision? Um, um, so if we go remote sensing pre-computer vision, and then uh, talk about, you know, now that you have vision, where does that bring the remote sensing and what capabilities has it added to the technology? Well, I think remote sensing, I mean, what to do some remote sensing uh, in the past prior to computer vision, it was mostly based on some basic signal processing of the like Doppler signals that we're getting to the earth. But this was like a very, let's say, weak topic. And with the somehow appearance of computer vision techniques, especially like machine learning methods, things that you wouldn't be able to explain other than with data, now you're able to put it into a black box which learns from experience. And it really has changed the way that remote sensing can be perceived. Uh, it's very, at least as a researcher, it's very clear that all these different journals and how research is being done, it's just moving towards computer vision and its integration with machine learning algorithms. It's definitely a game changer. Okay. So I know we kind of talked about it, but what, what are the, if we take 5G um, aside, you know, that would be, that's the real sweet spot. You know, that's the, that's the icing that goes on the cake. It's not 5G that's here yet. It's, it's the capabilities that 5G will actually bring when we can connect all these together. But overall, when we, when we do have this, what are the future capabilities that you see? I mean, I'm not sure for remote sensing, this could be a really, really big change uh, because at the end, at the moment, remote sensing is more like a 
static study. So you try to explain some changes on the Earth or on the surface using data that's been collected over time. But for like some other applications like uh, autonomous driving or something that it's like drone delivery, all of these new intelligent vehicles, 5G will completely change this. It will be fully connected vehicles, but connected with a very large bandwidth. And generally also when we think about 5G, we think about having not a single antenna on our receivers. Like uh, with 4G, your mobile phone has a single antenna, but with the 5G perspective, normally you think about array of antennas. So you know where the other vehicles are, but you know you also know in which direction they are, actually. And not only that, but the amount of data that you can exchange at such a fast pace, yeah, it, it will definitely impact. I'm not sure whether it will be 5G or finally the laws changing to, to allow this kind of autonomous vehicle to exist. But yeah, definitely 5G from a, from a technological point of view would be really, really relevant. Do you, uh, do you think your, your World Guinness record is at stake? I don't think 5G will be able to get these certain <laughs> No, no, no. <laughs> uh, look, I think, I think that's us uh, in terms of time and topics, Daniel. Covered everything we wanted to. For everyone listening, this is the Computer Vision in Production podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Kelly. Today's guest was Daniel Arias Medina, who's a research and development engineer at the German Aerospace Center. Daniel, great to have you on the show. Thank you for inviting me. It was really a pleasure. Yeah, so all the best for the show. It's, it's amazing the work that you're doing. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Computer Vision in Production podcast with your host, Anthony Kelly. To make sure you get updates on the latest episodes of the show, make sure you subscribe on your preferred podcast listening app or add me on LinkedIn.